Good morning. Um, a few weeks ago, as I was going on a walk and kind of ruminating on the topic of today's message, which is envy, uh, it occurred to me that if, if you have social media and you have Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or something like that, and you have a few hundred friends, and let's say on average all of us as humans are in your friends and yourself uh, spend three days a year on, in vacation, going somewhere cool. If you have a few hundred friends on, on social media, that means that any time you open your phone and open up one of those apps, someone is in a cooler place than you, doing something awesome. Someone is, the same thing works if you're talking about going out to eat. If, if, if you have a few hundred friends on social media and you pull up your phone at any time, someone's eating at a restaurant that you would rather be eating at than the leftovers on your couch, right? Someone is starting or finishing a workout program. They're on a run. They feel great. They just bought a new car. Literally, if you compile just a hundred people, a few hundred people on your friends list, and you make that one composite person, 24-7, someone is doing something better than you, something you'd rather be doing than what you're doing in your own life, unless you're on that vacation or at the restaurant, right? We've created this comparison trap where no matter what we're doing, um, we'd rather be doing what the other person, this composite person, might be doing. And, and we've seen with the, the rise of, of use of cell phones and smartphones and social media apps, with the rise of this technology, we've also seen a dramatic rise in anxiety and depression. And there's a correlation there. They're, they're tied to each other. And I'm not like an anti-phone person. I think we should use it wisely. I'm not an anti-social media person. I think we should use those things wisely. But there is an impact on constantly being in a space of comparison. It, it has a negative impact. And Marshall McLuhan I once said that we shape our tools, and then our tools shape us. And if you take one thing from this whole sermon, take that quote, because it applies to so much of our life, to every piece of technology we use. We shape our tools, and then our tools shape us. And we're still not even fully aware of the impact of the tool of the smartphone and what it does for our mental health, sociological health, all these things. There's so much impact. So we shape our tools, and then our tools shape us. Now, this idea of comparison is not something that's new. It's not something that was just invented with Facebook or Instagram or TikTok. It's actually as old as time. The, the idea of comparing uh, yourself to someone else is literally at the beginning of Scripture. Uh, the, first story we have, uh, or the first story we have after the fall of Adam and Eve is a story of comparison and envy and then ultimately murder. It's the story of Cain and Abel, where Cain looks at his brother his brother's sacrifice is accepted by God and pleasing to God. Cain's sacrifice is rejected, and envy is born. And Cain wrestles with God, and God pleads with him, please don't go down this path that, you're, that I can see you're going down. Cain ignores him and ends up murdering his brother. So right after the fall, the first story you have is a story of envy, a story of comparison. But you go throughout Genesis, the book of Genesis, and, and it's just envy after envy after envy. You have Isaac and Ishmael, you have Jacob and Esau. You have Leah and Rachel. You have Joseph and his brothers. Uh, the, the book of Genesis is littered with stories of envy and brokenness within the family unit over this comparison. And what we learn from Genesis, and Genesis literally means origins or our beginnings, what we learn is that in our deepest parts of our DNA, envy resides. It's just sitting there deep in all of us. Envy is uh, a problem as old as time. And Solomon says it like this in Proverbs. He says, A content heart is life to the body, but envy rots the bones. 
Envy is when we are resentful towards someone else for a perceived advantage they have of us, over us. It's when we have resentment building up towards someone else because of a perceived advantage that they have over us. And I say perceived advantage because sometimes the advantage isn't even real. It's just, it's just in our head, just in our minds. Envy rots the bones. Now, there's three words that the Bible uses and that we typically use that are kind of similar. There's a lot of overlap, but I want to nuance them out. I would say in the modern English, we just use the word jealous. I, I literally texted three times this week to friends. One was in Paris, and, and two or three were on ski trips in Colorado, and I just, whenever they post their picture, oh, I'm so jealous of you, right? So jealousy, coveting, and envy are kind of three words that are similar but subtly different. We typically use the word jealousy in our vernacular. We rarely use coveting. That's a, that'd be weird to say, I covet you. That's more of a biblical term. Uh, in envy, we will say something like, oh, I don't envy you if someone's going through something bad, right? Jealousy, coveting, envy. I just want to talk a little bit about the distinctions of those words. Jealousy, at its root, is when we're afraid of losing something that we think is ours. Jealousy is when we are fearful, when we're afraid of losing something that we think is ours. And and an easy example for that would be um, a a husband is maybe jealous of his wife's affections towards a newborn. He, He was used to getting that attention or affection from the wife, and now that energy is going towards a newborn. That's a perfectly normal thing in any marriage that happens, but the husband might be afraid that he's no longer at the top of the, the, top of the pole anymore, right? Uh, and, and, and I don't care about gender roles here. Like, it can go both ways. The wife can be jealous of the husband in that situation. The idea is just that something that used to belong to me, I'm afraid of that being taken away from me. And jealousy is a perfectly natural human emotion and reaction. It's really, what do we do with that jealousy? That's, that's the tension. That's the problem. Jealousy could lead us to courageous conversations and, and, and deeper intimacy with our spouse in that situation. Or it could lead to resentment and, and, and destructive stuff. We often see jealousy maybe in teenage romance where one, one person's afraid of losing their significant other, and so they act out in, in stupid ways. Jealousy is when we are afraid of losing something that is already ours. Coveting is the, the flip of that. Coveting is when we want something that someone else has. In the Old Testament, one of the Ten Commandments is do not covet your neighbor's wife or property or possessions. Coveting is when we want something that someone else has. And it's a perversion of admiration. Now, we might admire someone and say, I really admire this life that you've built. I really admire this family health that you've built or this career that you've built or the, the way that you've uh, accumulated wealth, whatever. Admiration might just be, I you know, admire that. But coveting is not, I, um, I, I want a life like yours. Coveting is, I want your life. I want your specific wife or your specific house or your specific job. Coveting is, I want to take what that person has for my own. That's, uh, that's unhealthy. That's an unhealthy perversion of admiration. So jealousy is, I'm afraid of losing what I think is mine. Coveting is, I want to take what take from someone what I think uh, that I want that's theirs. And then envy is a little more insidious than coveting. Envy is simply, I just don't want you to have it. And if you've ever been around small kids, this plays out dozens of times a day. For me, it's always like a hostage negotiation around stuffed animals. And sometimes the sister's like, I don't want that stuffed animal. I just don't want my sister to have it. Okay, this is super fun to talk about 12 times a day. Envy is uh, I want to t- take it from you. I want to tear you down. I don't want you to have it because your happiness is making me unhappy. Think about this in the context of Cain and Abel. Cain didn't seek to learn from Abel's sacrifice. He didn't say, how can I, like my brother Abel, also have an acceptable sacrifice? No, 
He just wanted to take away from Abel. He murdered him. He took him away. Uh, another example in the Old Testament is David and Saul. Saul was a king. David was this young warrior, musician, charismatic guy. And when, when Saul was envious of David, he threw spears at him. He sent armies after him. He didn't seek to, to leverage that or to learn from that. He sought to tear David down. That's envy. Envy just, even if I can't have it, I just don't want you to have it. Envy is destructive in those ways. Now, most of us will never go to the length of Cain and Abel. We won't actually commit murder. Most of us won't go to the lengths of King Saul against David, where we literally throw spears at people or send armies after them. Like, we don't go to that scale. But envy can show up in a lot more subtle and insidious ways. When we think someone has an advantage over us and we're, and we're envious of that, it comes out in, 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 in sideways ways, ways that are destructive. And I think one of the most common ways that envy shows up is in our speech. When we talk about people behind their back, when we tear down their accomplishments or their character or their physical appearance or whatever it might be, it shows up in our speech when we gossip, talk about them behind their backs. It also shows up when we, when we have slander, when we publicly embarrass them or humiliate them or tear them down. It might also show up in, in flattery, when we kind of lie to them to, to smooth things over, but inwardly we're kind of angry or bitter towards them. So envy shows up in our speech, and, and it can do so much damage. James says this in, in, in the book of James. He says, The tongue is like a spark that can set a whole forest ablaze. So when envy shows up on our, in our speech, it can do a ton of damage. Another way that, that envy might show up in our life is just constant pessimism. A constant posture of complaining uh, about things, not enjoying things, and just kind of being a negative person. Uh, think of a person that's at a party where everyone else is having fun, and they're just miserable, and they're complaining about the dip, or the drinks, or the company, or whatever. Envy shows up in, in constant negativity because someone else's happiness makes you unhappy. You find unhappiness in their joy. It, it, it irritates you. So when we're constantly negative or complaining, that could be a sign of envy, that that we're unhappy because someone else is finding success or happiness. And another way that envy might show up is when we withhold, when we withdraw from people in relationships. Maybe we withhold forgiveness and we're just stubborn. We might withhold information or resources that might help the other person because we think they already have an advantage over us and we're not going to give them anything from us that's going to continue or increase their advantage over us. So envy can show up uh, by just withholding things from someone. Envy is subtle, and it's insidious. It's hard to recognize. It's also super embarrassing to admit, uh, which is a part of why it, why it festers, because we, we can't recognize it, or once we do recognize it, we're kind of embarrassed to even admit, oh, actually, I was just kind of envious, because I think, I, I think you're a better person at me in X, Y, Z, whatever it might be. All right, so the, the opposite of envy is kindness. And I, I mentioned these past few weeks this guy, Evagrius Ponticus, who was like an Obi-Wan Kenobi, He's like a, men he's a mentor out in the desert. He's an early desert father. He mentored uh, other Christians. Evagrius Ponticus created the spiritual system that we now know as the seven deadly sins. Last week I talked about pride, um, but I mentioned that in, in addition to the, the seven deadly sins, he also uh, created or, or labeled or identified seven corresponding virtues. So last week we talked about pride, and the corresponding virtue was humility. This week, as we talk about envy, the corresponding virtue is kindness. Now, envy seeks to tear down and destroy because we're, we're, we, see what some, we see an advantage that someone has over us. Kindness seeks to build up and to add value. 
And the old English word for kindness means to build up over time. And the, the New Testament word for kindness is to add value over time. And, and the word image there is like, like a fine wine increases in value. As it ages, it gets better. A person that is kind is constantly adding value around, around them. Over, that over time, life is just getting sweeter and sweeter like a fine wine. So kindness is assertively adding value to people's lives with your words and with your actions. Now, when I think of a word picture for kindness or a person that embodies kindness, what jumps out to me is, is Mr. Rogers. And we, we look at the stories of Mr. Rogers. Obviously, he has decades, I guess, of, of his show where he's constantly just being kind and, 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 and loving to, to the kids around him, to the neighbors around him. But I also think, as you kind of dig into a story more, his kindness behind the scenes with how he treated his staff, also how assertive and proactive he was in, in fighting racism at his, in his time, there's, there's the famous picture of him with his shoes off. It's, it's one of his episodes. Um, he took his shoes off, and, and a black police officer took his shoes off, and they put, both put their feet in the pool. And he did that at a time to symbolize unity, and I'm with, I, I am for racial reconciliation and social justice. So Mr. Rogers, not only as a persona in the TV show, but behind the scenes, how he treated people, treated people and on like a macro social level, was constantly kind and trying to, to add value to the world around him. He embodied kindness. Now, growing up in the South, I, I've, I've come to, to, to recognize this thing that I call being Southern nice. And, and, and what I mean by Southern nice is like someone says, bless your heart, and what they really mean is, you stupid idiot. <laughs> right. And, and or when someone like smiles at you and is nice, but you know like as, as soon as like they're walking this way, their eyes are rolling, Right. Southern nice is when we kind of put on a front of being polite, but really we're withholding maybe an inner resentment. Or, and, and, and that's destructive, right? It's not necessarily healthy. There are times when you need to withhold what you're, gonna, what, what you're really thinking on the inside. You need to use discernment and not just be blunt and rude all the time. Um, but sometimes being nice can be to withhold truth. And, and the French word for nice means ignorance or to ignore. So sometimes being nice is we're not actually saying what we feel. We're just putting on this veneer, but then as soon as the person's gone, we, be, we, we talk about them behind their back. We complain. We roll our eyes. We roll our eyes internally, or whatever it might be. That's, that's being nice. Being kind is not passive. It's assertive. Kindness is speaking truth into people's lives and adding value to their lives. And when I say speaking truth, I mean, that could mean speaking truth in love. Like, that's what it should be, right? Kindness is truth and grace combined. And, and Paul tells us in Romans that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. God speaking his truth to us in love, in grace, and compassion that leads to growth. So kindness is the opposite of envy because kindness seeks to build up and add value where envy seeks to tear down and destroy. One thing that's tricky about envy is just learning how to recognize it. And I'll give you one kind of maybe litmus test you can use. And the question I ask you is, think, think of a person that maybe you are bitter towards or have resentment towards or whatever. Um, the question would be, how do you respond when that person has a great success in their life or has a great failure? Do you have anyone in your life where when they blow it, you, you kind of laugh? You smile? You chuckle? You're like, finally? That's probably a person you have envy with, right? It, Paul says in Romans that we should weep with those who weep and we should rejoice with those who rejoice. And what envy does is it takes that principle and it flips it on its head. We 
weep with those who rejoice and rejoice with those who weep, meaning when they succeed, we cry, we're upset. When they fail, we're happy. Envy takes that, that principle and flips it on its head. So that's a way to recognize, am I envious towards a person? Growing, uh, growing up in ministry the past 20 years, I had a friend, uh, they're still in ministry, I have a friend who I call like the King Midas of ministry, meaning everything they do succeeds. Everything they touch turns to gold. They just crush it in ministry. They're a great communicator, great preacher. They build churches or organizations. They're great leaders. They have charisma. They're good-looking. They have a beautiful family. Like they, have, they have all these things going for them. And everything that they do succeeds. And for a while there, I, I found myself getting kind of resentful. I'm like, oh, okay. And I know a bit of their backstory. I know, um, for instance, that they have a, a, a father who was a, a hugely successful pastor, but also a great father. And that's rare in ministry. Or it's, it's it, it's not uncommon to find pastors that are great pastors but not great husbands or fathers. But they had kind of the total package dad who was great in ministry, successful in ministry, but also raised his kids well. So I knew that was an unfair advantage they had over me, that they, they had seen behind the scenes forever and seen how to do it well, but also had a, a man that invested in them. I didn't have that. So there'd be times when they would be successful, my friend would be successful, and I'd be like, oh, it's just because their dad did this or et cetera. Right? Um, that cost me the relationship, for, not, not like completely, but there would be times where I'd be withdrawn or frustrated, and, and that cost me the ability to actually learn from them. And if I'd been able to pivot from my envy, my resentment, my bitterness towards their success, and just say, hey, tell me what your dad taught you over time, and, and learn from them, it could have been a huge blessing during that season of ministry. So the trick with envy is to learn where you're envious, and then maybe try to learn how to pivot from envy to admiration, and to appreciation, and to, and to seek to learn and to grow. Like, what would have happened if Cain would have said, hey, I'm really upset that my, my sacrifice wasn't accepted, brother. Can you teach me what about yours was acceptable? Can you show me a better way so that I can enjoy the same success that you're enjoying? What might have happened, right? What if Saul, as a king, would have looked at this young, charismatic leader in David and said, I'm going to leverage this guy's charisma and success and expertise to increase my kingdom. As David succeeds, I succeed as the king. I look good too. What if he learned to pivot from envy towards appreciation, gratitude, admiration? That's the trick for us. So one thing I want to challenge you guys with as we kind of close this morning is I want you to think of three people in your world. You, don't have to even, you can like them. You don't have to hate them. <laughs> but three people in your world that you appreciate the value and beauty that they add to the world. And I want you sometime this week to text them, call them, email them, write them a letter, go for a walk with them, take them out to call, whatever. I want you to reach out this week to three people and, and be specific about what you appreciate, about the value that they add to the world. I want us to be people of, of kindness that are assertive and proactive in, in increasing the value and beauty in the world and the people around us. Let's pray.